Hello and welcome to another podcast of Indigenous Roots and Hoots, brought to you by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. My name is Gordon Spence, and today my guest is Christian Spence. Christian also happens to be my son, so it should be an interesting podcast. Christian was born in Ottawa, Ontario, grew up in Elmont, where he went to high school. Christian is both Cree and Inuit, with family connections to Split Lake, Manitoba, of the Tataskia Cree Nation. On his father's side, and a strong connection to Iqaluit, Nunavut, where he has many family members residing there from his mother's side. Christian graduated from the Almont District High School in 2008. He then attained a one-year certificate in media and communications, as well as a two-year diploma in general arts and science from Algonquin College in 2011. He then went on to Carleton University to obtain his Bachelor of Arts degree with a major in law in 2016. Christian began working with the Inuit Tapirit Kanadami, ITK, as a project coordinator in 2018 before transitioning into his current role as a policy advisor in economic development, labor market and legislative priority areas before stepping into his new world at ITK. Christian worked in the restaurant business for several years. Most recently, Christian has been accepted into law school at the University of Ottawa and will begin his journey to becoming a lawyer starting this September, 2021. He's passionate about advocating and advancing the rights and interests, not only for Inuit, but for all Indigenous peoples across Canada and aspires to one day make meaningful contributions to his Indigenous roots. In his spare time, Christian loves to golf and watch his favorite hockey team, the Ottawa Senators. Hello, Christian. How are you today, son? Hey, I'm pretty good. Mr. Okay. Spence, I'm uh... A long-time listener and first-time podcaster, so thanks for having me on the, on the show today. Right on, right on. Well, why don't we start about talking a little bit about uh, where you are and where you're coming from, your family background, your cultural identity. Talk a little bit about yourself first. Yeah, sure. You know, as you said, I, I'm both Cree and Inuk, Cree on my father's side and Inuit on my mother's side, and... Uh, Born here in Ottawa, Ontario. Grew up in Elmont, Ontario. Went to high school there before moving back to Ottawa, where I went to post-secondary education and where I currently reside and, and work at ITK. Talk a bit about your work history and how you ended up at your current job at ITK. Well, it's been a long list of jobs that I've had <laughs> dating back to when I was about 16 when I entered the workforce. But I you know, I, I think this story should begin when I was about 21. Uh, I was living on my own at the time, going to uh, Carleton University, my first year of university there. And my apartment at the time, I, my lease ran out. And so I, I was kind of scrambling to uh, to find somewhere to live. And, and my brother graciously offered for, for me to stay at his house for the summer while, while I, you know, sort of figure out uh, what I'm going to do for, for my living situation. And so 
I moved in with him and, and moved into his basement for the summer. And then he ended up getting me a job at this restaurant, Vittoria Vittoria, here in Ottawa. And I, and I started out as a dishwasher, as a just part-time job to supplement uh, some of my income while I was going to going to university. And then it was, it was probably about a year or two into that job where I had an opportunity to move up to the line as a cook. And, and, and so I started cooking there. And uh, I learned a lot about cooking. I, you know, I think it's a skill that uh, a lot of people, you know, will, will eventually need in their life to provide for their family and for themselves, and whether it be their significant other too as well. But yeah, I worked there. And uh, while I was going to university and upon graduating, I stayed on full time and kept that position as I was looking for other work. And Eventually, this opportunity came across at ITK. It was a, a fill-in position for a week, an uh, administrative role. So I put in my resume, and then I got a call back asking if I wanted to fill in for a week. So I quickly, you know, I asked my my manager, asked him if it was okay to to fill in for this role and to cut my hours back for the week. So he was uh, graciously flexible enough to do that. And, and then uh, that sort of got my, my foot in the door with ITK, I believe, uh, and looking back on it. And it was a great week there. I, I learned a lot about what that organization was all about, how they were structured, what they do, some of the policy work and whatnot. So it was a good learning experience. And then further down a few months later, my sister, Alyssa, who, who was working at ITK at the time, she informed me about a, an entry-level position and thought I should apply there. So I uh, threw my resume in there and then, you know, went through the interview process and eventually ITK took a chance on me and started out as a project coordinator in economic development and, and labor market. And then uh, two years later, I, I transitioned into my role as a policy advisor. That's where I currently work. You know, it's a great organization. I love working for them. I love advocating for Unites um, and great colleagues. And it's been a, a massive learning curve over the last three years, but uh, I'm looking forward to continuing staying on with them and, and, and working for Inuit. Awesome. For our listeners, what does ITK stand for and who are they? Well, originally, I believe they began in, in the 70s as ITC. Inuit Paparisit of Canada. I believe it was, correct me if I'm wrong, but but they were really partnering uh, with trying to advocate for Inuit land claims agreements. And, and once eventually all four of those Inuit land claim agreements became, you know, laws of Canada or legislation, they, they sort of transitioned into a new role of policy advancement. And, and so that's what we do at ITK. We work closely with you know, different branches of the federal governments and the territorial governments and Inuit regional organizations and try to uh, advocate for better policy and for Inuit and improving socioeconomic opportunities. Right on. As a young Indigenous person growing up in an urban environment, what were some of the challenges you had to overcome to get where you are now? Well, looking back over my life as an Indigenous urban youth. I think, you know, the, the two things that stand out for me was uh, dealing with racism, you know, at many points in my life. Uh, 
growing up, I, I always knew I was indigenous, but I think my parents uh, did a great job at uh, teaching us our cultural heritage. But at the same time, you know, when, when you're a kid uh, in an urban setting, especially all you, you want to do is fit in w- with the rest of your friends and, and try to be part of society in that sense. So, you know, there were, there was times where I, I experienced racism growing up and, uh, I didn't, I didn't really know why, to be honest with you. I, I didn't understand, uh, what my, you know, appearance had anything to do with, with, or giving them grounds for, for, for putting me down or for whatever reason that may be, you know, I, I had a hard time grappling with understanding of racism early on and, and being indigenous and knowing where I fit into society. So considering my family's history and what my parents went through, uh, both my parents went to residential school. My mother was part of the high Arctic relocation of the Inuit in the 1950s from Manukchuak all the way up to Greece Fjord and, and the colonial effects that that has had on them and, and their siblings and, you know, my family in general, I, I saw it as, as a kid growing up. And, and at the time, you know, early on, I didn't understand why things were the way they were, right? And coupled with, with racism too and, and dealing with that whole perspective as an urban Indigenous youth, it, it almost came down to wanting to fit in more and not... I don't want to say not wanting to be Indigenous. That's because it's been something that I never really talked about before, but, and, and I feel shame for, for feeling that as a youth. But, you know, as I got older, I realized the systemic roots behind these issues and why Indigenous people face the kind of things that they face with today and the history with the federal government and, and, and all that stuff. So, uh, so I see the colonial effects as to why it happened and looking back on, on to what my parents had to overcome and, and all the barriers that they faced, it, it really brought me back a sense of pride to, to be Indigenous and to respect, you know, their perseverance and adversity. I, yeah, I think, you know, j- just dealing with racism and, and uh, effects of colonialism and sort of loss of identity as as an urban indigenous youth was something that I definitely grappled with uh, growing up. But uh, you know, as you get older, you, you begin to understand more and more as to as to why these things are are happening. And I see a bit of a disconnect between you know our, our southern counterparts and, and the non-indigenous Canadians out there with our indigenous. Uh, Canadians as well so yeah. I think uh, you know I hope my words can can resonate well with uh, other Indigenous youth across Canada who, who may be feeling some of the same sort of experiences that I experienced growing up I think that um, what you experience growing up in an urban environment uh, We've all been through it as, you know, almost every Aboriginal person who's, who's lived and walked in a, in a, in a non-Native, non-Indigenous society has felt what you went through. Um, I felt it, your mother's felt it, and uh, everybody else that's gone before you was an Indigenous person. 
And I'm glad in a way that you, you know, you, you experience it because you understand, you know, it makes you understand who you are. It makes you understand uh, what it's all about. And uh, you feel for other people who go through it. And uh, I think it makes you stronger. Uh, so I can't say that I'm sorry you went through it, uh, but I am. But I think, uh, I think it makes you a better person to be able to uh, be resilient and, and, uh, and get through it. And I think as you get older, you become more, you know, you know, you're able to deal with it better and uh, understand it better. And that it's not your fault. So I'm glad you're, you know, you're, you've grown up to be uh, a good person and you've handled it well, I think, uh, throughout you growing up and having to deal with those. Um, let's move on to talk a little bit about some of the, extracurricular activities that uh, you were involved in growing up in Elmont and in the Ottawa Valley area. You also played hockey growing up in Elmont. You went to two tournaments when you were young. You went to the Callaway tournament um, in, uh, it was in April, several years back. I can't remember the year, 2010 maybe. And you also went to the Fred Sackamus hockey tournament in Saskatoon. Do you want to talk about the, a little bit about those experiences and uh, and how that was? And I know you're kind of familiar with it through you know your experience with mom going up there on previous occasions. But how was that experience for you? Because I know you you know you, you grew up in southern Canada. Your roots are partly from Nunavut, uh, but you never. How did it feel going up there with your your team? Well, I guess I'll start off by saying that, uh, you know, those who know me know that how much I love hockey. Unfortunately, I, I think I love the game more and more than the game loved me. And <laughs> I, I played up uh, all the way until basically uh, until COVID hit with men's league and minor hockey and all that stuff. But uh, I think the tournament Sydney Calloway's occurred in my midget year, one of my last years of, of midget. And, uh, I remember, unfortunately, about a month before the tournament, I, I broke my wrist snowboarding. So, unfortunately, that was in a cast when when uh, our team went up there, which was very unfortunate because I was really looking forward to, to playing to playing hockey there in you know in Nunavut, and it was one of the things that I regret. But I think the experience was amazing. Looking back on it, a lot of my teammates probably didn't have that opportunity to, to, to go up there. And, you know, for some of them, it, it could have been uh, once in a lifetime opportunity, not just for them, but, you know, for the coaches and the players as well. But I remember being on the bench with the team and, and uh, you know, looking out into the crowd and seeing how jam packed the, the rink was. It was very electrifying, I should say, you know, the, the fans were just right into it. It doesn't matter who was on the ice, really. Um, it was just a, an awesome experience, and I think everyone appreciated that. It just shows how much uh, the game of hockey can bring people together from many different cultures. So a funny story, actually. I remember me and my teammates were walking through through the town there, and I see these, we see these two little boys sledding down one of the, the hills, and I kind of, you know, look, look at one of them and he kind of looks familiar. And 
he looks at me, he looks at the, my teammates and he goes, are you guys from Ottawa? And we're like, yeah. And he goes, he looks at me, he goes, are you Christian? I'm like, yeah. He goes, I'm your cousin. <laughs> <laughs> so then, you know, it was just comical the way that happened. And Who was it? I, I think it was uh, Matthew and Michael. Larry. Oh, yes, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Coming back from uh, after that tournament, and I know I know it was a unique experience for your your hockey team. Unfortunately, they all, like you said, all of them couldn't go. But uh, did you notice any change in how they how they were? I mean, I mean that's that certainly must have opened their eyes up to to a different culture and made uh, made them understand more about Aboriginal people in in. Northern Canada. Did you notice any difference in the way they were towards you after? Honestly, I I can't say that I noticed a massive change. You know, I think for the most part, that team was was you know every 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 guy on that team is a great person. You know, so I have a lot of respect for everyone that was on that team, and you know, just the way they carried themselves heading into that tournament and. And coming out of it too, I think uh, you know it says a lot about them that uh, it wasn't really a change because they've always just been you know respectful for for who they are. So yeah, they were uh, they were a great bunch of boys, and I uh, and I think the experience was it's probably you know made their lives better in in. in uh, and they were all already uh, really decent young young men. So it wasn't the winning part that was so much important to you guys. And I think the experience going up there was, was the number one thing. I don't remember. I think you guys came in second or something, right? Yeah. I think we lost to uh, a double A or a triple A team from Toronto. Yeah. By one goal or something like that. And it was right. funny because we were on the same flight on the way back to Ottawa. That was a middle of tense. <laughs> What about the uh, the tournament you went to? You also went to a hockey tournament in in Saskatoon. Now that's a total that's a, that's that's the Cree culture side of, uh, you, of who you are, and uh, you know your 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 ancestry. You, you went to the Inuit side. Now you went to the the Cree side. Now how was that experience? Uh, it must have been totally different. I think the similarities in that tournament what was the the love and passion for the Yamaha hockey. And that and that was a more recent tournament that I went to is I think 2018 just before uh covid hit. My cousin reached out to me and he asked me if I wanted to play in the Fred Sasakamu's Chief Thunderstick National Hockey Championship and I of course I said yes right away. I didn't really think about uh, how I was going to fly out to Saskatoon for this tournament or where I was going to stay. I just, you know, immediately accepted a roster spot and super excited to go out there. And it was an amazing experience. The team I played for, the, the Tasquayak Blues, they, you know, accepted me right away. And no questions asked at all. You know, I, I was immediately, you know, one of, one of the boys on the team, one of the brothers in the locker room. I still, I still connect with, with some of those guys on that hockey team. And that tournament, I remember we got rocked every game. I think uh, 
my cousin said that we they were missing some of their their pot, their star puck handlers due to uh, hunting season or something. So we had a short bench, um, and, and that tournament uh, was you know hard hitting, fast, good hockey. A lot of ex junior players were playing in that tournament. You know, university, college level kind of hockey. So uh, it was definitely uh, a little intimidating, but you know it was. It was an experience I'll, I'll never forget. And if Dustin's listening, uh, save me a roster spot for, for the next tournament because I'll be there. I was going to ask you that. Would you go back? <laughs> I guess you would. Did you uh, did you get to see Fred Sagan? He was alive at the time. He was uh, Fred Sagan. Was, for those who don't know who he is, who is it? Do you know? Francis Sakamus, yes, he was uh, the first Indigenous hockey player to play in the NHL. I think he played about 11 games or so with the Chicago Blackhawks. But yeah, I, I got a chance to meet him, I think, on the last day of the tournament. And I also met uh, Brady Keeper, who was, he didn't actually get to play, I think, because he was under contract with the Florida Panthers at the time. Super nice guy, though. Uh, I think we, uh, me and Dustin got, got a picture of them. It was a good experience for sure, meeting those two. Excellent stories uh, for you to carry with you for for the rest of your life. And I hope you have another, I hope you have another chance to go back and play to either there or other tournaments because it's kind of like a, you know, Aboriginal people just love hockey, and uh, there's always tournaments everywhere in the spring. You know, <laughs> it's uh, it's a great time and a great atmosphere. Moving on to something else that you did in your life uh, after high school, you did some traveling. You went to Europe. Tell us a little bit about that and your experience uh, going out there. Yeah, that was definitely an experience I'll never forget. Um, me and three other friends, we ended up uh, going backpacking in Europe. I think it was uh, just after high school. I, uh, I was working full time as a ski lift operator at Mount Pakenham. And uh, I managed to save enough money to get a, a plane ticket, a year rail pass and some supplies for, for our trip. So we flew out to, um, from Ottawa. Uh, our itinerary was kind of, Kind of funny because we got a super cheap flight, right? So we went from Ottawa to Boston to Halifax to Iceland. And then finally we landed in Paris after like 24 hours of connecting flights. Wow. So we, we, we started out in Paris, uh, went up to Amsterdam, came back into France, into Grenoble, I believe, and then trained down to Zurich in Switzerland. Uh, and then I believe we came back down south into Italy, I want to say. I think we went to... You went um, to Rome, didn't you? We went to Rome. We went to Rome, and then we went to Venice. And then from Venice, we went to... Well, we were going to try and get an overnight train to Barcelona, but the train stopped in Nice, and so when we got offered, like, okay, let's let's try and get an overnight train to Barcelona, but the train station was closed, right? So we didn't know what we were going to do. And it was just me and my other buddy at this time, my good friend Dylan. So it was kind of like, you know, 
we were almost not really panicking, but we were like, what the heck are we going to do here? Like, we have no place to stay. We can't get a train ticket. We're basically stranded in this random town in France. <laughs> right? <laughs> so we were starving. So we, I think we went and got some food. We grabbed a couple bottles of wine, and then we head down to uh, the beach area. And we just stayed there all night because every like every place we tried to get a, a a hostel or whatever everything was booked up for some reason i don't know if there was something going on in that in that town that weekend or or, or during that time but we, yeah we absolutely could not find any place to stay so we, we ended up staying on that beach that night and then the next first thing in the morning we walked back up to the train station and i uh, got a ticket to barcelona you stayed there for for a bit and in the yeah, and then stayed there for almost a week because we just fell in love with that place and then flew up to uh, London, stayed there for, for a few more days before coming back home. Sounds great. I've never been to Europe myself, so maybe someday I'll make it there. Okay, what are your future plans after you finish law school? You're going to law school uh, starting this fall. Uh, that should be... Uh... A, a, a very good and unique experience for you. Um, you know, hear stories about people's first day in law school, and it's just an amazing day. You must be getting excited. How do you feel about going to law school, and uh, what do you plan to do after you finish? Well, law school was such a pain to get into to begin with, right? Like, I'm so happy that and excited that I've actually managed to get in. But at the same time, you know, it's 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 kind of intimidating to to go to to law school. You know, I, I'm not sure what to expect. You know, I I've talked to some close friends, and you know, my sister, of course, those people that have already experienced it, and and you know, they've given me some pointers and some tips. And but you know, that only goes so far. You only be able to figure out how to navigate these experiences until you actually you know go through them but i haven't really given a whole lot of thought as to what exactly i want to do after law school you know i i have always thought indigenous law and aboriginal law were, were of interest to me as well as contract law but i'm also starting to to become more interested in, in business law because of the work that I, that i've been doing with uh at itk involved in economic development so I'm sort of hoping, you know, once I go through law school and, and these experiences, that something will, will, will catch my attention or I'll become more interested in, in a different field or branch of law and then hopefully, you know, go from there. This is a question about reconciliation. Do you have a message for Canadians about reconciliation and how we can make Canada a better country to live in? As a young uh, Indigenous person in Canada, you know, I'm pl- I'm sort of plugged into social media, and and I follow the news, and you know, I see what's going out on west out west with the wet Sowetan and uh, out east with the the Mi'kmaq fisheries, and you know, I, I read these articles and I see these comments online, you know, and, and I still see a disconnect between people's understanding uh, of Indigenous people, you know, reasons as to why they're facing some of the socioeconomic issues that they're facing today, you know, uh, everything from overcrowded homes to high incarceration rates, uh, food security to, to low education rates to, 
um, drug and alcohol abuse and, you know, all these sorts of things that are affecting our people. And I think uh, there's still a disconnect between non-Indigenous Canadians out there as to why we are facing these issues, you know, and, and I think everything starts with education and, and having a, a positive open conversation about, you know, different people's perspectives. And I look at uh, the way Canada has been shaped and, and a lot of it, I think, comes down to, to miscommunication between Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people. So I, I strongly believe that education and, and, and communication are, are key to reconciliation. And, and so I, I would say that to encourage, you know, those people who, who don't understand to why Indigenous people face these problems today, I would encourage them to, to look into that a little more or to reach out and to have these positive conversations because that's the only way we're going to be able to understand each other and, and sort of work together towards uh, a better future for, for everyone living in this country. Okay, very well said, Christian. We're getting to the end of our podcast. I got like a couple more questions here. and um, But before we finish, I want to ask you a few very quick questions. And they're, they're, they're one word answers. Okay. Well, this is something I've just added to this podcast and I didn't tell you about it. Uh, uh, I'm trying to spice it up, so to speak. Uh, Put me on the hot seat, eh? Yes. Okay. They're not hard, they're kind of personal. I'm sure you've seen these types of questions before. Anyways, I'm going to ask you like seven questions and you just give me one word answers, okay? All right. Okay, where is the favorite place you've ever visited? Could be anywhere, town, city, country. I have to say Barcelona. I know that wasn't one word, but... That's fine. What's your favorite food and drink? Non-alcohol. Chicken enchiladas. Chicken enchiladas. Yeah. Lauren makes the best chicken enchiladas. Cool. Yes. Your favorite non-alcohol drink? Pepsi. Sure. Go with that. I think I know this one. I'm going to ask this for, I think you said this already, but it's on my list. So what's your favorite sports team and player? Current or past? I'd have to say current. Well, Ottawa Senators for sure. And uh, favorite player, Brady Kachuk. What's your favorite type of animal? Dog. Favorite movie or show series? Favorite movie, Pulp Fiction. Wow. That's different. <laughs> favorite music, type of music or song? Um, well, I don't know. Like, I have a lot of different favorites and different genres. Rock, pop, it's, rap. Uh, I like rock and and rap. So I I hip hop, you know, big fan. Okay. Favorite activity pastime? Golf. Right and hockey. Yes. Oh, excellent. All right. Uh, the last part of our podcast, the roots and hoots. Uh, you know that Aboriginal people like to tell funny stories or jokes. Uh, so I'm going to ask you to tell us a funny story or tell us a joke to close this podcast off. So back in the day when I was working in the restaurant industry, you know, after our shift, some of us would like to, to go across the street to uh, the Riverside pub, you know, have a couple of drinks and unwind. 
And so there was a bunch of us sitting around the table. My other good NATO buddy who was working with us at the time too was closing up the restaurant and uh, he shows up after he's showing up a little bit later. But as he's coming in and sitting down and arriving, saying hi to everyone, my other buddy, he's finishing up and then heading home, calling him at night early. And he says, all right, I got to get out of here. There's too many natives here. So there's, you know, the table kind of chuckles a little bit. So I pipe up and I say to him, wouldn't that be great if they said that like 500 years ago? <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes, that's a good one. All right, Christian, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to, to do this. Um, you're an excellent role model, you know, and that's the way I see you. You've, uh, you've overcome some hurdles in your youth. You know, you've met some challenges. Uh, you faced some challenges and, you know, you've outgrown them and you, you overcame obstacles. And uh, I think you've uh, grew up in a good environment. You're moving on to, uh, you have a good job and uh, you're moving on to become a lawyer. And I'm pretty sure you have, uh, you're going to be successful at that as well. I'm very proud of you, what you've done so far. And I know you'll continue to, to make us all proud, family and friends. And thank you for taking the time to do this. Love you. Thanks, Mr. Spence. I appreciate those kind words. It's great to have me on the podcast. Okay. You can see. Thank you very much. Have a good weekend. You too. Roots and Hoots is produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. For more podcasts like this, please visit our website at legacyofhope.ca.